Lord, we praise you and we thank you so much for the Sabbath day. We praise you for this rest, a chance to grow closer to you, to learn from you. Lord, we pray that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by meditating on your word, Lord. And so we invite your presence to be with us, that your spirit will lead us in the name of Jesus. Amen. I would like to start with a proverb for you that tells you where a lot of power comes from that most people take for granted. Some people realize this and they use it for good or for bad. But it's a very serious proverb. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life in the power of the tongue. When I was a graduate student at the University of Kentucky, I was walking around in their gigantic library, and I came across a magazine on the special forces. And you know how they used to, to choose special forces for, for America, for places all over the world? They would say to themselves, okay, we're going to test to see who is the smartest, and we're going to test to see who is the strongest, and that's how we are going to pick our special forces they realized that there was a flaw with that system. They said, there's something else that we need here. It doesn't matter just if you're strong and smart. There's two other vital things to choose special forces. And both of them have to do with words. One is teamwork and two is leadership. Teamwork and leadership are all done through words. God knows the power of words and he wants you to understand them better so that way you can use them in your own life to make your life better. That way you can use them with others to make their lives better. And, uh, and that you know the secrets of the devil, how he tries to uh, pull us down. So that's what I wanna to do today. I wanna to share with you those three things that words can save, words can kill. Then I wanna show you what Jesus was like in the worst hours of his existence here on earth, because he's our example. Uh, I just want to tell you a, a quick little story. I see all these masks, you know, we're all supposed to be wearing masks, social distancing, all these things. Well, a mask would be a good idea in some situations for our mouths. Uh, when I was a college student at Andrews, an undergraduate, I was sitting around in the cafeteria. There we were, a bunch of guys and then one girl. And this girl was talking to everybody. And she was saying, how great she was at this and how great she was at that. And, you know, she was one of my friends and a, a closer friend of my other friends. And after hearing her say all these things, I thought, well, I would tell a little joke to help her, you know, uh, not a good joke. So it wasn't meant to put her down, but it did. So my 10 little words to put her in her place ended up like a match to fire and it lit the table up with laughter. I mean, the guys just boomed. And it also lit a fire under her seat because she disappeared. She was gone at about two seconds flat out the door, walking out of the cafeteria. I had to run after her, chase her down, apologize, say that's not what I meant, and try to clean up a mess that I had created with just a few words. Words are very serious. In heaven, there was perfect harmony. It was a beautiful place to be, a beautiful place to live. 
until someone came and sowed seeds of discord and deception. Words changed the atmosphere of heaven. Words swept one-third of the angels out of heaven. Words swept Adam and Eve out of Eden. And words are still sweeping away our own peace and happiness right now. Well, we do have hope, though. There is a gospel, and that is good news. There is a word that we can go to that will train us up so that we can use our tongues for peace and for love. And that's what we're here to discuss today. There is actually a verse about spiritual guardianship over your mouth. And this is in the book of Psalm, Psalm 141. If you care to turn there, verse 3. And it's a... It's a verse that reminds us that maybe we should have a mask over our face. It says this, it says, this is David speaking, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. We'd all be a little better off if we were a little bit more careful with what we said. Now, people in Bible times took words very seriously. Do you remember the story of Esau? Remember his brother came, took his birthright, and then Esau comes in to his father and he starts crying like a little baby. Now, Esau is a very manly man. He was hairy. He was a mighty hunter. He was strong. And here he is. He's crying. Why is he crying? He's crying and he's asking his father, please, didn't you save a blessing for me? He, all he wanted was his father to bless him, to use words to bless him. So it is something that we should probably all take a little more seriously. Um, someone, <laughs> I was giving this message recently, and someone came up after me and they said, did you know that the astronauts, before they, when they go up into space, they play music in the morning to set their tone for the day? I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. Well, we can set a tone with our words. I went out into the sunshine for a few minutes before giving this message, and it felt very good. Well, we can bring sunshine, or we can bring clouds. We can bring driving rain, and in some instances, we could even bring lightning, and we do not want to do that. So let's start with a good story now. Let's go to Daniel, and I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to read a story where someone was on the edge of death. Literally, a death sentence was being carried out against them, and they chose special words. So Daniel... We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2 and see what those words were. So let me give you the background here. King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. And in his dream, you know what happened, but he couldn't remember it. So he told his wise men, he's like, wise men, you got to come and tell me this dream. So not only do you have to interpret it for me, I want you to tell me because I can't remember my dream. So then the, all the wise men, they say, hey, well, we can tell you what it means. All you got to do is tell it to us first. And King Nebuchadnezzar, known for getting a little angry at times, says, no, I know you guys are just trying to buy time so that way you can tell me lies. Tell me now or I will have you destroyed. I think he was going to cut them to pieces. So they couldn't. They said, oh, King, nobody has ever asked this of any wise men. How in the world can we do this? 
he said, no, you're trying to buy time until the seasons change and I forget what I was going to do. No way. And he says, okay, I'm going to send the captain out to kill all the wise men of Babylon. So here comes the captain of the guard to Daniel's house. So Daniel is going to react. Now the death sentence is there. Let's see how Daniel reacts with his words. This is Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. I'll start in 13. It says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Verse 14, Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. He said, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Now, you might think, <laughs> first of all, it says Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Now, how many of us run our mouths on autopilot and get ourselves into worse trouble? Now, think how that would have worked for Daniel for a second. King Nebuchadnezzar is, let me say this again, king, heat the furnace, seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar was not known for his patience. Do you remember that Daniel, he said, hey, I'd like to eat a different diet. And he went and spoke to his leaders, and they said, well, why should I endanger my neck before the king if you don't look as strong as the other young men? Okay, Nebuchadnezzar was ready to take people out and take them out quickly. He, was, he had rage, and he had fury. So in order for Daniel to appease the man who was carrying out the king's sentence, he must have used some good strategies. What exactly did he use? We don't know. But I can tell you a couple of good strategies from the book of Proverbs. There's one that says, with patience, you can persuade a ruler. Um, well, so Daniel goes into the king. Let's move there. All right, so Daniel goes into the king. And remember, the king just said, no, you guys cannot have more time. Now, I don't know if Daniel was there at the time. I doubt it. Um, but so Daniel comes in. He says, talks to the king. Remember, the king is angry. He's frustrated. He just told everybody, no more time. And Daniel gets more time. How in the world does Daniel get more time? Well, you remember that Daniel had the spirit of the living God. And everyone said Daniel has an excellent spirit. Well, there's some clues to this type of language that Daniel might have known in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says, he who has innocent, innocent thoughts and gracious words will have even the king as a friend. There's another verse that says, with patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And pleasant words increase learning. We don't know exactly what Daniel did, but we do know he probably used some of these strategies. And we would be a lot better off using some of these strategies in our own lives rather than just running on autopilot. And you probably know what it's like to run on autopilot and where that gets you sometimes. <laughs> and I don't recommend it. <laughs> All right, so study Daniel, study the Proverbs. There's loads of good information in the book of Proverbs about how to communicate better. So now Daniel, he gets the interpretation. He prays with his friends. He goes back. And I want you to just think about this for one second. Daniel doesn't go in and say, you know, I, I figured it out. He says, no, there's a God in heaven that can figure it out. And he's the one that showed me. And he said, don't destroy the other wise men. Now, some people would have thought, well, this is my opportunity. I'm going to get rid of all my enemies, all these believers, these false believers. They try to understand the different strange times by looking at the stars. 
They have all these false ideas, false theologies. I could wipe them out right now and I could take all the credit for myself. But that's not what Daniel did. Daniel said, do not kill the other men. How many times in your communication or my communication, imagine someone who's going to negotiate a new car or going to negotiate a deal on something that they want to buy. Um, Everyone's looking out for themselves. Daniel was looking out for everyone. And I praise the Lord for that. Daniel saved himself and he saved the other wise men because of his words, his word choice. Words are important. So now, Satan understands this very well, and Satan will use this for his own methods. So let's go and study the story of Job. We know that Job had a very wonderful character. Job was incredible. Job, in chapter 29, it says that Job delivered the poor. He helped the fatherless. He helped the dying and the widow. He wore righteousness and justice. He was eyes to the blind. He was feet to the lame. He was father to the poor. And he saved victims from the wicked. That's in Job chapter 29, verses 12, 14 to 17. Well, this is exactly the type of person that Satan wants to destroy. So we're going to look at this story of Job. Most people think, okay, Job, that's an interesting story. You know, he got all his possessions taken from him. Then he got his health taken from him. And then there's all these words. And then the end comes, Jesus saves him. Well, all those words are actually a very, very important clue that I would like to go through with you. Not all of them. We're just going to take out a few of them and look at them to see how does Satan work. Because Satan often works through words to tear us down. So I'm going to jump into Job real fast. Job chapter 1. And we're going to see cosmic warfare. This, This message is entitled Word Warfare. Well, here it is. I want you to see it very carefully because the devil uses schemes and we need to understand them so that way we don't fall into the same traps and we can guard ourselves and guard others. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz, his name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Job, now let's continue. There was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. So this guy, his garage was full. He had all sorts of cars and wagons and trailers and everything that you could ever think of. He had plenty of it. He was the greatest of all the men of the East. And let's jump to five. And it was so when the days of their feasting, uh, Job's children, they would feast together, were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. And he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now listen to this. It says, For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job understood, well, we should be careful what we say. We should even be careful what we think. And Job interceded for his children, just like Jesus Christ intercedes for us. And I hope that when this message is over, you will choose to intercede more often for the sake of others. 
So Satan shows up and he says, I want to take this guy down. And we do have a battle for our heart. And Job's character was very strong. And that's why Satan wanted to rip him down. Job's character was so strong. If you read Job 30, verse 1, it says, Job disdained to put the dogs of his flock with certain mockers. So Job understood there's certain people that are toxic to be around. He didn't even want his dogs around them. That was the kind of character that Job had. And maybe we should be a little bit more careful who we're around and who rubs off on us. Not that the dogs would have picked up bad language, but people do pick up bad spirits. So let's go to Satan's accusation. This is Job 1, verses 8 to 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered, the Lord, and he said, Doth Job fear for nothing? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Now here's a very important clue to the power of words. Verse 11, Satan says, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. What was Satan's accusation? It was that Job would curse the Lord. All he wanted Job to do, he didn't say he's going to go out and commit adultery. He didn't say he's going to go murder somebody. He didn't say, oh yeah, I can get Job to go steal somebody. All he was saying was Job would say the wrong words. And that's pretty amazing. So let's follow this story. And I want you to realize that this is actually very low-hanging fruit that Satan is going after. It's very hard to control the tongue. And the Bible talks about this in the book of James. I want you to hear this. It says, James 3, 2 to 10, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, and they may, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Now, have you ever heard of a fire-breathing dragon? The Bible often describes Satan as a dragon. Well, we can be fire-breathing dragons as well. Let's continue in the book of James. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. If you're in California, you know about that trouble. Just look at the landscape. Look at the smoke. And think about your words can do the same thing to the spirits and lives of other people. And James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We cannot tame the tongue, but there is a God in heaven who can. 
Jesus Christ, he had full control over his tongue. And remember, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God can help us to train our tongues. Satan didn't think that Job could do it, but Job was very close to God, and that's how he was able to do it. So let's, let's see what happens. Job, you know the story. And uh, Satan, what he does, and he comes, remember, God said, okay, you can do whatever you want to Job, just don't touch his body. So here comes Job in Job 1, verses 13 to 18. And we have a rapid fire message of destruction. Remember, you line up all the servants. One servant comes in. Let's just go to the story for a second here. Job 1, 13 to 18. We're not going to read all of it. It says, there was a day his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. They're having a good time. And there came a messenger unto Job, and he said, the oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, and he took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only have escaped to tell thee. That's bad news. Job had a lot of those. While he was yet speaking, there came another also, and he said, the fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the serpents. And imagine he sounded quite frantic and quite hectic, just like all the news that's going on about COVID-19, probably news about wildfires. This is a spirit that can catch. Satan is using these words to chip away rapid fire at Job and produce a bad spirit in him. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking... There came also another, and he said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only escaped to tell thee. And Satan saves the biggest punch in the gut for last. While he was yet speaking, word warfare, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness. And smote the four corners of the earth, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped to tell thee. Have you ever said, that's enough, I'm finished, I snapped? Did you ever get frustrated when someone came along and keyed your car? Somebody cut you off driving, you didn't get a grade you wanted? Your friends weren't friendly. Someone stabbed you in the back. What words come out of your mouth when that happens to you? It's usually not very good. Well, how did Job react? Remember Satan's accusation, he'll curse God. Well, what did Job say? Let's jump down to verse 21. Well, first, verse 20, it says, Job arose, he rent his mantle, and he shaved his head. And he fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. Job worshipped God. He didn't curse God. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job didn't curse God he blessed him. 
I think that's a great lesson for us when we're going through dark situations. So Satan comes along and he says, well, okay, you know, that was pretty good, but I know how to take Job out. Let's just mess around with his flesh. And, you know, I want to make him sick. And then, then he'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay, but do not kill him. So here comes Satan and he strikes Job with boils. Not just one or two. It says from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And Job is in such bad pain. It says he takes a, a pot shirt and he scrapes his body and he's sitting down in dust and ashes, miserable. Well, I praise the Lord that we have family. I praise the Lord that I'm married and I have children. What a blessing it is to have them around me. Well, there's a time when those around us use the wrong words. Remember carefully, what was Satan's accusation? He will curse God. Well, here comes Job's wife. In Job 2 verse 9, wouldn't it be nice if Job's wife came along to encourage him in this time of darkness. You know, Job, he really needed to pick me up right now. He was not feeling very good. In fact, there were times when he said he wished he was never been born. Here comes his wife. Satan says, God's, uh, Job's going to curse you. Listen carefully to the word choice of Job's wife. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Who, you remember the story of Jesus, he was going to go to Calvary, and Peter came to him and said, no, no, Jesus, this stuff's not going to happen. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. We often will be the mouthpiece for the devil. When we run on autopilot, when we just speak according to the flesh, if we've not been sowing to the Spirit, we are going to use words and use tones of voices that are not very kind and are not going to help people in their darkest hours. So I want to encourage you right now to choose better words. When you see people down in dark times, be careful how you speak to them. Be careful of the words that you use for them. You don't know exactly why they're in that situation. It may be their fault. It may not be their fault. But you could be the person to lift them up in a time of deep darkness rather than encouraging them to end a difficult life. If you're in that trial right now, hang on to the end of the message. I've got some hope and promises for you. Jesus Christ loves you, and he wants to save you forever. And I have words of hope. So we'll get to that very shortly. Let's continue with the story of Job. Okay, so round two, Job passes, praise the Lord. And we're going to move to, to round three here in a second. And in Job 2.10, it says, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Praise the Lord, I am so thankful. Now, does God really care? You might be thinking, well, the lips, the mouth, this is a lot of talk about communication. Now, let me just give you one special insight. I've read a lot of books and a lot of research on communication. There is no other book better to help you with your words than the Bible. And let me just show you, does the Bible care? Does God care about the words you say? Let's go to Proverbs 6, and we're going to look at three levels of communication. Okay, Proverbs 6, and we're going to go to 
verses 16 to 19. And if you're a communication student or if you're in a communication class, you might be able to pick a few things out of there, but I'm going to help you do that if you're not or if you haven't. But there's all sorts of ways that the devil tries to get us down. Sometimes it's not just the words. Okay, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. Seven are in abomination unto him. Does the Lord hate poor communication? Verse 17, a proud look. Now, a proud look, that would be nonverbal communication, how you look at somebody. What do you do when you look at someone and you look at them in a proud manner? Well, you have just created a caste society where you are better than them. And if you think that's a great thing, well, why don't you go to a country where they have seven levels of castes and you can't move up or it's very difficult. Even once they say they got rid of the castes, that system is still there. How do you look at other people? Be very careful. So proud look, number two, a lying tongue. That's straight communication. That's the words that come out of your mouth. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. That's actions. Next, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now, what is your imagination? How do you speak to yourself? You tell yourself good things or bad things. That's called intrapersonal communication, not inter, it's intra. How do you talk to yourself? What are your imaginations? God doesn't like wicked imaginations. And we know from the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't covet. You know, out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So control your thoughts, and that will help you control your words. Next, it says, feet that be swift in running into mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, that's communication again, and he that soweth discord among brethren. If you have ever been the brunt of discord, it's usually sown through words, often actions, but oftentimes it's words, it's back, backstabbing, it's gossiping, telling stories that shouldn't be told. God hates these things. God is very particular with these things. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians, uh, and it says, excuse me, that's Colossians 3, 17. Colossians 4, 16 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. So words have a lot of power. How much power? You might be saying, oh, God doesn't like when we use Bad words, well, does there, is there really much of an effect when we use bad words? Well, there is. There is some serious bad effects of poor words. And I would like to share a couple with you. So you might remember, or maybe we'll go there in a second. We're going to go to round three in just a moment. But let me give you a couple other stories real fast. All right. <laughs> Job's friends are coming. Job's friends are coming. And have you ever been out in the desert? Some of you might know what the desert's like. But in the desert, there is rain that comes along. But it's so hot. And my brother-in-law, excuse me, my brother's a farmer. 
and he works in the desert on a farm. And wouldn't it be nice to have some rain for your farm in a very bad time? It would be beautiful. Well, sometimes it's hot, so hot there, the rain clouds come and you see the rain coming down in the sky. You can see it far away. And before the rain hits the ground, it evaporates. And that's kind of sad. And that's what Job's about to experience with his friends. His friends are about to come and Job thinks, ah, oh, great, my friends, they will lift me up. I'm going to get some encouragement from my friends. They're going to save me. They're going to rescue me in my dark times and difficult times. Well, let's see what happens when his friends show up here. They say this. All right. And let me get an interesting verse for this in Proverbs 25, 25. It says, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. So Job, he's got the opportunity to come get some good news. And his friends, they show up. Remember, um, Satan said round three, I'm just going to bother Job. Well, so we've got his possessions. We've got his health. And now round three is he's still in a bad predicament, but he's just, Satan is sending a group of people to come after him. Now here comes his friends and they start out really good. Uh, and we got some good clues to communication in the Bible. In Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And then also it says, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak in James 1.19. So his friends do a great job when they first show up. Okay, they sit down. They don't say anything to Job for a week is what the Bible says. And then Job, Job finally speaks. So have you ever been down and, and needed some encouragement? I unfortunately lost a child at birth one time, and it was very difficult for me. For my wife, particularly for my wife, I was more in the support role, but it was not a good time. And I called a friend, let him know. And my friend, he said, hey, I can be there tomorrow. Do you want me to come up? And I said, wow, to myself thinking, no, you know, I don't need that right now. It's not a good time. But just, I, I told him, thank you just for saying that. You know, that is what I needed to hear, that there's someone out there that cares for me and is willing to help. And if you need someone, well, there's someone out there that cares for you, and he's willing to help as Jesus Christ. And we should all be like Jesus. Well, here comes Job's friends. Let me give you a little bit of, uh, I crunched some numbers on this one time. I don't remember all exactly what happens, but most of the book of Job is words, is, um, is Job's dialogue with his friends. Yes, we know it's words, but it's dialogue, back and forth banter. And I calculated one time how many thousand words it was. And I said, okay, how, how long would it take for Job and his friends to have this discussion if they spoke at a normal rate and they didn't take big breaks to think of their incredibly uh, complex answers? And it could have took, it was several hours at least. Now, this is an onslaught. Most of us snap pretty fast. Well, Job, he was getting hit over and over and over. Everything lost its health. And now Satan is trying to chip him away with his friends. So let's, let's look at this for a moment here. Job comes along and he tries to build his friend up. So that's good. He starts out positive. Then he comes along and he says, Job 4 verse 8, he says, Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Well, the problem is that Job was innocent. 
And we often think that people deserve what they get, and they usually do, but Job did not in this case. We should be very careful with our words. And he ends and he says, seek God and commit to him. Don't despise God's chastenings. He will deliver you, redeem you. And that seems like a good message. Problem was, Job was innocent. And Job had to continue to argue with his friends to plead his innocence over and over and over. By the way, Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation used a very good method to speak to his seven churches. He started out with what they did well. Then he said, this is what you should do better. And then he ended with words of hope. That's how Job's first friends started out. But Job was innocent. So that seems like a good method, but it wasn't. All right, let's go to friend number two. This is Bildad. He said, Job, your words are like strong wind. Your sons were probably taken away for their transgressions. So here he is. Friend comes along and says, your, your, your children probably deserved it. How would that feel if you just lost a child? If someone came along and said, you know, they, they had it coming to them. Would that be encouraging? I don't think that would be the nicest thing to say. The third friend comes along and he says this to Job. He says, God actually punishes you less than you deserve. And now I'm scratching my head here thinking, how could anyone be punished less than Job? Okay. Serious physical affliction, lost all his belongings, lost his family. He's being machine gunned with his friends through their words. How is he getting punished less than he deserves? We're often thoughtless with what we say. We should be a lot more careful. And Job understood this. In Job 13, verses 4 and 5, he said, You are worthless physicians. And he said about God, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. So anyone studying medicine, your words and the spirit you have in the surgery room can actually influence the recovery of those involved and the environment of people around you, whether or not they feel comfortable telling you, hey, we need to do, do something different, or hey, there's a problem here. How comfortable do people feel around you? Can they come up to you with problems or troubles or concerns? It's going to influence your work, the quality of it, and the outcomes for the patients. Research shows this. All right, now we have um, Eliphaz comes along, and he says, you have empty words, this, that, all the other. Let's they keep going at him. We're going to cut short Job's drama in a little bit, but you just have to understand how serious this was and how serious Satan is about taking people down with words. He comes along and, um, is this serious? Proverbs 23 says, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Job has a very big weight on him. And then here comes Job's friends, and they're throwing bricks on his back. They, they could, any one of them, Satan is hoping, will be the straw that broke the camel's back. But God, praise the Lord, knows just how much he can stand. Job 19 verse 2 says, How long, my friends, will you break me into pieces with your words? We really have to be careful with our words. You know, there's a lot of good people that fell because of words. And if you're not familiar with some of these stories, did you know that the term nag to death is actually a biblical term? So 
In the book of Judges, we have the story of Samson. Remember, Samson was going to get married, and he was going to go, and he, he told this riddle to the guys that were coming to his wedding. And he said, if you guys get the, the, the riddle, well, then I'll give you 30 sets of clothing. But if you don't, you have to give me 30 sets of clothing. Now, how did the guys get the riddle? Well, they went and they talked to the woman that was going to marry Samson. And she came and she pleaded with Samson. She nagged him to get the answer. I wouldn't want to say nag, but let's say pleaded. We're going to get to nagged because that's, it's serious. Um, And he got the answer. So Samson, he lost that, that bet and all sorts of strife and trouble came as a result. But let's go to the book of Judges real fast. Because nag to death is actually a biblical concept. Now, Satan um, came after Samson a couple times through words. If you go to Judges chapter 16, you're going to find that nag to death is a biblical concept. And this is not just women that do this. Uh, It could be men, children, anyone can do this. But this is the story that we're focusing on. Judges 16, we're going to go to 15. And here comes Delilah. And remember, she's trying to get the answer to his secret because she's trying to destroy him. Uh, So she says unto him, how can you say? Remember, she tried to get it several times. He didn't tell her. And now she's feeling a little bit funny, but she still goes after him. So she said unto him, how can you say I love thee when your heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and has not told me wherein. Thy great strength lieth. She's trying to find the secret to Samson's strength. Came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. This is verse 16. Okay, this is nagging. And urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That he told her all his heart. And you know the rest of the story. Samson got taken out because he was nagged to death. Now, remember Moses, why didn't Moses enter the promised land? Moses didn't enter the promised land because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Why did Moses strike the rock? Well, he did that the first time. He wasn't supposed to do the second time, but all the people came to Moses and they said, hey, why are we out here starving? We're, We're thirsty and we had it better in Egypt. And they started going through all these lists of things and Moses got so frustrated that he, he cried out. He said, must we bring water out of the rock, ye rebels? And he calls them rebels, and he's so angry, he strikes the rock. And the book, if you want to look that up for yourselves, look up Numbers 22 to 10. And look up Psalm 106, verses 32 to, to uh, 33. And... You'll see, it was words. Words kept Moses out of the promised land. And then next, did you know why Jesus was crucified? Well, there's many reasons. But Pilate tried to let Jesus go about three times. And every single time, what kept Jesus going to the crucifixion? It was words. People kept crying out, crucify him. Words are very serious things. And this is pretty sad uh, Job's friends now, let's go back to Job, they started gunny-sacking him. And this is where you line up a bunch of accusations. And we're about to go to Jesus now for a good example, but let's finish up Job real fast. 
when you have a bunch of things stored up against your friend, your family member, uh, a loved one, someone you don't even know, you just trump up all these charges. That's something called gunny sacking. Gunny sacking uh, is when you have a sack of problems that are a sack of grievances against somebody. Well, they did this, they did that. I don't like this about them. They don't. And when the right times come, you're ready to drill them down and you just open up the sack and you just hurl all these accusations one after another. Well, one of Job's friends does that. And he lies. He makes up all these lies in Job 22, verses 5. He says, your wickedness is great. You strip the naked of their clothing. You have not given the weary water or the hungry food. You have sent the widows away empty. You have let the fatherless get crushed. He's trying to crush Job with all these false accusations. So don't do that to your friends. When you're ever in a problem and you have to deal with conflict, don't deal with a bunch of things at once. Stick with one. And if you can get through that one and get that figured out, well, you are blessed. But as soon as you bring in five other things, and as soon as you start talking about someone's identity versus the particular problem, you just opened a huge mess. Don't do it. Stick to your topics. Don't stick to people's characters. Okay, give people hope. Now, how did Job get through this real quick? And if anyone of you are struggling, here's the secret that we're going to come back to in our closing. In Job 23, verse 12, it says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job was willing to die even if God slayed him because he treasured God. He treasured his word more than food. Do we do that? Do we eat several times a day? How often do we spend time in the word? And if you're around this evening, I'm going to talk to you about that. So please, if you're interested and you want to know how good the word is for you, come back later. All right, so let's continue. Satan's after, remember, Satan is trying to get Job down and Satan saves one last trick up his sleeve. You know, the three friends were there, but there was this other young guy named Elihu. Because he was a young man and he said, I wait to speak because I want wisdom to speak. And so Elihu comes along and he has the longest uh, monologue of all the friends and he's cutting Job down and he says, one perfect in knowledge is around you. And now he's the young man speaking to the older man. And I imagine that that Satan is just trying to push Job down. Now he's really trying to grind into him with this young guy saying, hey, you know, I'm perfect in knowledge and since you guys couldn't defeat Job, I will hear and I will tell you why Job is wrong. And then at the end, he's starting to say, and you know what? Even if you want to talk to, to God, nobody can talk to God. This is Satan. Satan's really trying to make Job snap. And I praise the Lord that he knows just how far that we can go. Because this seems like a good snapping point. But then, just as the accusation that you cannot speak to God comes out, and praise the Lord, we can speak to God and he does hear us. Guess who shows up? God himself shows up in a whirlwind. And he comes and God now enters the dialogue. And he says, no, Job is innocent. And I praise the Lord for that. If anyone's wondering, well, you know, oh, Job, he had to go through all that stuff. Remember, God knows where everyone snaps. God, Job, God blessed Job double at the end of his life. And in James 5.11, it says, indeed, we count them blessed that endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is 
very compassionate and merciful. If you're in trouble right now, remember, God loves you. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And he wants something good. So if we're often in trials and tribulations, and we often use the wrong words, we need a model to speak better. Now, what can we use for a model? Well, we need Jesus Christ. And I pray to the Lord that having a good model makes a difference. Because if you have the wrong model, it makes a difference as well. Let me just show you real quick. Um, or let me just study with you real fast. Share some news with you about how much of a difference media makes and the influence of it. <laughs> you should be careful who you hang out with. So U.S. News Health suggested this. Well, let's jump to the Journal of Pediatrics really first. This was reported in U.S. News, and it says that they were trying to study how to get kids to eat more vegetables. Okay, so how can we get kids to eat more vegetables? Do you want to know? Well, this is, let me tell you how they did it. They said, let's put up a banner of uh, vegetables in the cafeteria. So there they are. They make up this big poster. They've got all these veggies on the wall, on a poster. And guess what happens to the kids' vegetable consumption? It says the kids' vegetable consumption increased by 90%. A picture of vegetables. All right, so you're like, oh, okay, that's good. Interesting. Well, it gets more interesting than that. When they added a combination of a picture of vegetables, a vinyl panel, and then a little TV spot, now, the TV spot by itself didn't change, but when they combined a TV spot and they combined this vinyl banner of vegetables, they said, okay, um, the vegetable consumption was 293%. So let me, let me ask you, what is it easier? Is it easier for us to do good or to do evil? What if media can get us to eat vegetables? You have to think very carefully, is the media I'm consuming changing me into the right person. Now, what can the what is the spread of influence on people in this nation? Well, let's just say this was published in US News on July 18, a couple years ago, and they said they interviewed a guy. They have a quote from the director of the Center for Child Health Behavior and Development at the Seattle Children's Research Institute. And they said this: they said, let's say 2% of the population behaves more aggressively after being exposed to violent media. Out of the 20 million people who see the latest violent blockbuster, that's 400,000 additional acts of aggressive behavior. So who can we watch to clean us up? Let's look at Jesus. Jesus in his darkest hours, before he was gonna die, he said to his friends, he said to his disciples, he said, I will not leave you orphans. Now, they were going to leave him. And wouldn't it be nice to know that when the, your perfect and beautiful, wonderful leader was going to leave, that he was going to leave you with something? He's going to send them something? Well, he told him he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. He also said, I tell you before that you may believe. These things are spoken that you may not stumble. Jesus is about to leave. He's about to die and yet he is focusing outward on other people. At the trial of Jesus, 
in his dark. Now, how easy is it for you when you have a headache, when things are going bad, to think and talk about and encourage other people? Well, here's Jesus at his trial. And he says to Pilate, he says, those who gave me to you are guilty of the greater sin. Jesus could be the best debater in the world. Jesus is the word. Jesus could have argued himself out of anything. Jesus had the power to change anybody's mind. But Jesus was gentle to the person assigning his death warrant. On the way for the cross, Jesus Christ looked at some women who were crying for him. And he said, cry for yourselves. And then he told them about what was going to happen in the future. He was warning them because he wanted to save them. When Jesus Christ is being nailed to the cross, Jesus, our model. When he was being nailed to the cross, there is a Roman soldier nailing him to the cross. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Imagine this soldier must have heard so many other men cursing, cursing God, cursing the soldiers, shouting, angry, aggressive. Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them. While he is on the cross, Jesus is using his words to take care of his family. He says, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. While he is hanging, dying on the cross. Remember the thieves were hurling accusations. Well, one must have changed his mind. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we helped each other in difficult and dark times, like our model, Jesus Christ? Well, I had a time where I needed a little encouragement. I was feeling a little foolish. I had a big truck. I was driving a truck down a hill. This was a three-quarter tongue pickup truck. It was an extended cab, and it had a long bed in it with big tires. I was driving down a hill, and as I was going down the hill, the truck sunk down about a foot. I mean, I just boop, popped down, and I looked out the window, still riding smooth, but down to the left of me was bouncing down the hill my big tire in the other lane. Then it went off down into the woods. So I pulled it out, I picked it up, brought it back up, and, I, and this motorcyclist, he stopped by and he said, hey, I told him what happened. Now that tire would have destroyed that man and the motorcycle easily. But I told the guy on the motorcycle what happened. I said, I can't believe what I did. And he looked at me, you know what he said? He said, it's all right, man, we've all done that. And I thought to myself, what? I don't deserve that niceness. So he drove away, another guy came, Told him what happened, sheepish, didn't feel good about it. I thought, maybe I didn't tighten all the lug nuts. I don't know what happened. And he looks at me and he says, you know what? It's okay. We've all done something like that. Second time, I got the same answer I did not deserve. A third person came. And this person uh, had no known me. I had met them in the past. I told him the story saying, you know, I can't believe I did this. Maybe I forgot to tighten all the lug nuts. I don't know what happened because I had rotated the tires on that truck shortly before that. And he said, he said, you know what? We've all done something like that. I thought to myself, what incredible grace I have been shown in this time of personal failure. And so the tow truck comes, he puts the wheel on, I drove back a half mile, and the wheel falls off again. So I learned a lesson that day. 
I had a buddy come to me when I was in church in Lexington, Kentucky, and he came up to me and he said, you know what? I consider myself a safe driver and I can't believe I bumped someone with my car, got into a mild accident. And you know what my answer was to him? I said, you know what? It happens to everybody. Just try to be more careful next time. Don't let it get you down. Now we have to be very careful with our words. We should encourage people and lift them up just like Jesus did. So in closing, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be in word warfare, not to pull people down, but to save lives? I want to encourage you to think more like him, to read about Jesus, to meditate on the promises that he gave you. Let me just give you a a couple right now, and then we'll pray. Jesus says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And finally, the Lord is my light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You have no one to fear if you're close to Jesus. So my prayer is now that we will be more like him with our words, that we will save rather than kill. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. We praise you for your grace, your incredible example of gracious words in a time of difficulty and struggle and trial. Lord, help us all to be a little bit more like you as we continue our Sabbath day. Lord, help us to think of words of life to encourage others who might be in a time of darkness. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and your will be done. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.